Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Mike and Christy Thayer. It's July 21st, 2023. We're at Pete's Mountain Vineyard. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Uh, and the first question to get things started is why wine? <sighs> why wine, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, originally we were just going to be farmers and, and grow grapes and, and live up here on Pete's Mountain uh, in Westland, Oregon. And we wanted to have a family. Um, we got married. 25 years ago, and we were just kind of charting out our path for as far as having a family and you know what we were going to do. And uh, growing grapes, uh, living on some property was a, a real appealing, um, you know, to what we wanted to to accomplish in in raising the family. And um, Westland also was a, a great area for us as far as uh, the schools, Wilsonville, Westland, um, really great schools, and so. We both grew up in, in Oregon. Um, Christy went to University of Oregon. But the high school is now called, it was Wilson <laughs> oh, High Wilson, School. Oh, yes, Wilson High School, which is now Ida B. Wells. But yeah, we're both from from here, and it was important. We wanted to raise our family here and, and stay here, and Mike was Sunset High School. Yeah, and uh, along with that, you know, our, our parents were here, mm-hmm. and so we thought this is, is what we want to do is, and continue our family with, you know, hanging out with our family and and just being being together. Mm-hmm. So we'll come back to that and let's back up a little bit first. Christy, we'll start with you. You mentioned growing up and going to Wilson and then U of O. Tell me about yes. sort of your path and what you studied and what you did after graduation. Right. So graduated from Wilson High School, went down to University of Oregon, followed my older sister down there. She was two years older. And um, I graduated from the School of Journalism at University of Oregon and majoring in or uh, focusing on advertising within the School of Journalism. But after that, I worked for a property management um, company, Trammell Crow, and did that for several years. And so didn't have anything to do with wine, you know, during my studies there or when I, after I graduated, except enjoying wine with friends. <laughs> that was that was about the extent of the wine. The wine. Uh, interest in college and then I um, so I graduated in 1992 and then Mike and I met in 1994 yes best day of my life I'm going to come back and ask you how you met in a second but Mike why don't you pick up pick up the kind of early story for us tell us about your growing up in education well I grew up in Beaverton Sunset High School I graduated in 1981 and then graduated from University of Oregon in 1985 I was a history major at University of Oregon, Little Arts. Um, was in the Phi Delta fraternity down there, and um, just had a really nice experience at Oregon. Um, one of the first things uh, involving wine, you know, if you were to ask me that question, it would be um, joined this fraternity, and it was a small fraternity of Phi Delta at the time, and they were kind of reorganizing, coming back onto campus, and um, there were about. 18 people, 18 members in the house, so it was very small, and about half of them were from San Francisco. And so this was right when, you know, a lot of things were happening down in Napa and Sonoma, 
it was kind of a new revolution down there for, for the industry in California, I believe. And uh, they, um, we decided to have this house dance and we, we did a wine stomp. And uh, I had never really tried fine wines. Um, I had drank in some of the, the wines that were, uh, you know, this is obviously when I was over 21, but, um, you know, some of the wines that were distributed in America. And, uh, but this was the first opportunity that I got to really try um, beautiful wines. Um, we did, uh, but they were kind of sophisticated, those folks from San Francisco, and there weren't a lot of wineries down in, uh, at the time. I mean, it was just a growing industry. And so one of the bottles that I remember we, we purchased uh, through the wholesalers was uh, Silver Oak. And so that was uh, really neat to experience that. But I will say Adelsheim, um, I believe it was a Pinot Gris, got into the mix uh, on the white side. And I just really enjoyed, enjoyed that, albeit, you know, wine is something, at least from my experience, and then also dealing with a lot of face-to-face. -face, we, we interact a lot face-to-face, -face, Christy and I do, with our customers because of the nature of our, our business and being really small and self-distributing. So, um, you know, it was just, I, I thought these are really nice wines and, um, you know, it's something that I probably would enjoy as I get older. And as I've gotten older, I, I enjoy wine more. You know, back in, in college, you know, we drank beer too, obviously. Not obviously. I, we might want to cut that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, um, you know, so that was the first first deal I, I really came in, in contact with fine wines and kind of the industry a little bit in, in both California and, and Oregon. So how did the two of you meet? Well, you were working for your Jay Thayer yeah. office products company that they owned, and I was working for the property management company. So we connected. We I can, moved, moved he, into you, a property that Christy was that uh, we were managing. Managing, and I got two garages. She thought that was pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, that was out near, yeah, in Tannisborn area. Yeah. And our first date was a walk, which I thought was, you know, very sweet. Except there's, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was 1994, and then we got married in 98. Yeah. So you talked earlier about kind of sort of planning out what you wanted and, and having sort of farming and, and viticulture be part of that. So tell me about why you chose that as something you were interested in, and once you did, how you sort of sought, sought out finding this place. Right. Well, for, for me, um, we grew up, um, our family, um, we grew up on five acres. And so it was just kind of a, a small hobby, hobby farm, you know, fields. And we were able to ride horses and ride motorcycles and, and do a lot of things outside. And so that was just what I, I grew up with, very, very fortunate. And so from my perspective, I thought, you know, having some, some property would be really nice to kind of do those same type of things. And uh, that's what kind of pointed us in, in this direction to Pete's Mountain. And looking for land, but you said to me, he kept saying, "I want to have, I really want to have some animals." I remember you saying that. Yeah, and we do, we do have a dog today. So that's and, uh, and four fast kids. forward. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell that story, but we never got to the animal. But that I know, like you said, you grew up on all this land, and I did, and I was in my traditional neighborhood. So I said, "Well, you know, sure, as long as we're close." I that was the other thing. This proximity, I said, "I'd love to be on land," and but I also don't want to be way far out where we are out of touch and. Mm -hmm. 
cannot see our friends and family, so I wanted to be close enough but feel like you're far away. Mm -hmm. So this, this area is, I think, appealing for that reason. You're five minutes to the bottom of the hill, but you also feel like you're out in, you know, wine country here. The, the other thing in growing up in Beaverton at Sunset High School, you know, we were really in the flatland. You know, we were down right at sea level and every, the five acres was flat. And so, you know, we'd sometimes go up to Skyline, like Skyline Burgers and stuff on, you know, on the way into Portland. And the views up there were really pretty. And so I thought, you know, that's something that would be really nice. I dreamed about someday having a, a place that had a view and, and uh, was up a little higher, so. Mm -hmm. So the initial, tell them about the... Oh. Property on the way, how we started, that, that's kind of where it started. Well, yeah, the other yeah so we originally came up um, and we bought a property up uh, not far from here on Peach Mountain, uh, 21 acre property. Um, it needed to have a farm plan in order to build a home on it. And so that's when we looked, well, what, what could we grow that would create the type of income, which is $80,000 a year. I think it was that when we, we, we were looking as well you know, annually for three or four years. And um, grapes um, were, uh, you know, in that category. Um, there was a, a, a gentleman that had done a, a study of Peach Mountain um, regarding the viability to grow wines and um, said it would be a, a, a really a great place to grow wines. And at the time, there was really only one um, person up here that was growing wines and that was our next door neighbor now, um, Lee and C. Lee Campbell. And um, they planted a vineyard um, all Pinot Gris, and it was six acres originally, and it, it expanded to 20 acres over time. And it was over, so you know, today we, we farm a part of the, the property there, and uh, we make a single vineyard wine um, from, uh, it was called Stone Ridge Vineyard originally, and now the, the kids, Andy and Tracy Park, um, it, have a winery, um, and it's called Campbell Lane. But um, when we started to make wine, and, and we're getting ahead of, ahead of the story a little bit, but we, we first, in 2005, is when we made our first wines from that vintage, a Pinot Gris and a Pinot Noir. So we made the Pinot Noir from our, our vineyard that we had planted in 2000. 2000. Yeah, and um, which was all Pinot Noir. And we uh, asked the Campbells if we could make a single vineyard wine from their property. And, and in honor of uh, Lee's wife and, and partner, Seeley Campbell, um, we asked if we could call it Seeley's Block. And, mm -hmm. and that's what we call it still today. Um, and we'll be doing our 18th, 19th um, vintage of that wine. Um, the story goes that in 2000, well, when, when Lee and Seeley planted this vineyard, um, it was the largest contiguous planting of Pinot Gris in the United States. Yes. Um, and so it's really one of the oldest Pinot Gris vineyards. Um, they sold for years to some of the great producers, um, Adelsheim being one of them, where that Pinot Gris, <laughs> you know, so that energy goes back to University of Oregon. Um, but also Lee and Seeley, um, they were, uh, I think, founding members of the Oregon Wine Brotherhood. And again, the story goes, um, if I get it correct, is that um, they had a meeting up here at their property early, early with that organization, and they were planning to pl plant Pinot Noir. And at that, uh, that 
meeting, um, there was a gentleman there that just happened to have six acres of, of Pinot Gris starts that were ready to plant. And that's kind of how they went down that way. Um, Andy and Tracy, Tracy uh, is Celia and Lee's daughter, um, so Andy and Tracy Parks, um, they today have, I think, they've, they've moved uh, some of the uh, Pinot Gris over to Pinot Noir as far as grafting. And also they planted, a, there's another five acres that they planted on the property that um, is basalt cobblestone which is pretty rare in Oregon and it's pretty interesting to see a vineyard planted in, in basalt cobblestone because it really is just, you know, small and large boulders of, of basalt. Mm -hmm. So that's a beautiful uh, aspect of their vineyard um, and the expansion of it and, uh, you know, they're, they're a great family. And Christy and I, when we moved up here, yeah, tell the story of, of Haley up there in 2000. Oh, I, I, so I will. we got to back up. I will, no, but I, I want to just finish with, okay. the, with the Stone, Stone Ridge. Um, um, Celie and Lee Campbell were really kind of our mentors to a degree because mm -hmm. when we came here, there was, you know, they were real active. And, and again, we weren't on this. We didn't own this property either. We owned the property that was up on the top of yeah, Beats Mountain. Just a mile from here. And, and, and we can talk about that and, and how we got that going. But... I remember uh, Lee, his, he was an optometrist, and uh, he was an optometrist for the Blazers during the championship run. And uh, I remember going up to meet him the first time up at his vineyard, and uh, he goes, yeah, I'll be out there working on the vineyard, you come on up. So I went up there, and, and, all, and he was also a pilot. He had a small Cessna that he'd fly all over the North America, really, even down to Mexico and stuff. It's kind of an adventure, you know? And uh, so I went up there, and I went through the gates, and all of a sudden I see this John Deere tractor coming my way. And, he, and Lee has these aviator goggles on, you know, he's just cruising. And, you know, when you farm and you, uh, you drive a tractor a lot, there's a lot of dust and a lot of stuff, you know, that can come into your eyes. And I never really thought about that until just recently. But, you know, he kind of combined his aviation background with also wearing those goggles to make sure his eyes were, were good. And um, both Lee and Celie are, are wonderful people, and they're both still alive today um, in their 90s. So that was that. And so... Christy, your, your point on the uh, the first vineyard that we planted. Um, yeah, how we, we really, you know, your introduction to them, but when we bought the property a mile up the road, the intention was, like Mike was saying, to build. We wanted, like, we found a spot. This is a magical place and lots of land, 20 acres, but then understanding in order to get your building permit, you need to put in 18 acres of, of um, plants, <laughs> vines, mm -hmm. which we thought sounded, and that's that's what kind of sparked the interest at that time, right? Um, yeah. So we said, what, what do we need to do? So that began the learning and getting, you know, the introductions to different people in the business and how do we go about this? And, and so we planted the vineyard in, in 2000 mm -hmm. up there and it was 18 acres of Pinot Noir. And we worked with Results par Partners at the time. At the time. And, our, and then, as and that we was before it was sold as an ESOP, an uh, employee-owned company. So um, it was a long time in their history. So then we, we were up there and we were planting the vineyard. And we had our, our first now of four kids, our oldest, our daughter. And she was in a, her infant seat. And we had her there. And we're like, hold the, hold the vine. And, you know, putting the little, <laughs> the little stick in the right. Historical. The, <laughs> very historical, taking pictures. She's holding it. And, and then I remember at some point they said, you got to name, name the block, name the, you know. I said, well, it's going to be named after her, our daughter. So that began Haley's block. Mm -hmm. 
our Pinot Noir, the first wine we ever made. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, Christy and I are, are just first generation at this. We didn't have parents that, you know, were in the industry at all. Mm -hmm. So it was a, you know, quite an, uh, a learning experience. Um, my business, back to, you know, that history, you know, um, before the wine um, chapter, was I graduated from the University of Oregon and, and right away I went to work with a family business and my brother John there and I, we, we bought the company from our parents. So it was kind of a, you know, you just jump into that and go out and, and sell office products and, and office furniture and printing. And so it was kind of a commodity business um, as well and got more so, you know, as we, we as history went on. And, but very, you know, kind of lower margin a lot of turns, you know, you can sell a pencil a hundred times during the year and get another one from the manufacturer. So in today's business, the wine business, it's interesting because it's just one turn per year. Mm -hmm. And um, But anyway, I did that. We did that uh, with my brother. And then for 13 years, um, we built the business up and we had a lot of success. When we, we bought the company, there was no, um, it wasn't automated at all. Um, there were faxes with the carbon uh, interlay, not even NCR, you know. <laughs> And, um, but the fax was a big thing, you know, just to be able to fax and get information <laughs> back and forth. And then eventually the big Motorola phone came up that you had to have two hands to hold, you know, and you're out and about calling. And so that was kind of when, when uh, the background, um, we were fortunate to be able to, there's a consolidation in the office products industry with Staples and Office Depot and, you know, all those companies. And so, um, we sold our company in 1994, I think it was, and um, that was what helped us to be able to kind of move our dream, part of what helped us to move our dream forward um, with getting into buying some land and so forth. How did you find, how did you decide on the first property you bought? Well, um, again, it's not overly glamorous when it comes to the wine business, but well, a lot of it was schools and stuff, but um, one of the, the uh, Oregon Golf Club was selling 12 different uh, portions and, and around the, the, the golf uh, course. And this was, that was in 92 that the Oregon Golf Club um, was founded. And then they did those really big tournaments, you know, Jacobson's parties, um, where um, Peter Jacobson, you know, he designed the golf course. and. The, he, he knew Arnold Palmer really well, and so all these big names came up to it, you know, and so that was the first time I was on the property was um, just as a spectator <laughs> walking over to watch the on the third and fourth hole of the golf course. And so, and, and Christy and I enjoyed golf, and, and um, we thought that this might make a, a good, good situation, and that's where the study was done by the Japanese owner um, to see what the viabilities were to, to on this land around there so people could develop farm plans and then build homes. Mm -hmm. At the time, the Japanese owner, he was a young man, um, they wanted to lease the land to the uh, participants for like 50 years and then after the 50 years they'd take it back because that's how they do it in Japan. And it really wasn't, uh, the, you know, probably the proper concept for America in owning the land, you know, and, and so forth. So eventually they developed it and, and, and sold it in parcels. Um, and we were able to buy one of those par parcels from John DaCosta. Um, he was a realtor that really was oversaw all the development there and selling all 12 lots. And, and in return for him doing that, he got this one lot that was a kind of really nice lot. Mm -hmm. 
and then he decided he wasn't going to do that, you know, be a farmer, and he um, put it up for sale. <laughs> I don't even know if it was really ever listed, and, and, and we were able to purchase that. And uh, so that's how we, we got into the business. Um, the soil types in Oregon, you know, there's multiple soil, soil types, uh, 12 primary uh, soil types, and um, that was a, a sandy loam, a volcanic soil at the top. Um, this particular property, which is only, you know, a mile and a half from there, uh, two miles, well, about a mile and a half, um, is Nakai soil. Much rockier soil. Uh, ours now. The, the current, current, current uh, are, vineyard yes. and location where we, for the last 14 years, we've, we've done our business and, and planted a second vineyard up here. So the first one was up on the Oregon Golf Club, and this is the second one. So we planted... Um, over, we're real close to 50 acres of, of grapes on Pete's Mountain. Um, they've all been Pinot Noir. Um, they've all been French clones with the exception of one clone uh, from Switzerland uh, called Vadenzel. And, um, you know, that, that was kind of the, uh, the evolution of, of, of the farms. And, um, and then as it turned out after we, our plan was to build there and we ultimately, obviously, we didn't build there, but we planted, like Mike was saying, the entire vineyard and and kept that, you know, did our first wine from yeah. from that vineyard. But in the once once the vineyard was planted and we saw the area to put the home and we designed the home and all this and and our daughter's getting a little bigger, we're like, do we is this is this is this our spot? We love the vineyard and this now, but is this where we want to build and be right be right here in the middle of? We didn't. Uh, we, Try to double, double, uh, a double take on ourselves because are we going to ride, ride our MX bikes all around this vineyard? You know, the people are out golfing, you know, and um, yes. do we, or do we want animals? You know, and, and really the, the plan on the property, you know, we had to build, you know, this big large vineyard in order to do it, and so we just kind of, um, you know, we we were moving ahead pretty good, and uh, but there was this sign up on uh, Schaefer Road and Peach Mountain Road, and it was a. Uh, pointed down this way to the south, they call it, we call this the south slope of Peach Mountain. And it's further from Westland and Lake Oswego, so it's another mile and a half. And, um, you know, this hill is pretty remote even today, but back then it was even, you know, this side was even more remote and uh, further um, from, from some of the cities and so forth. So I'd seen it for like six months going up there. It just, it just kept being there and I kept looking at it, you know, and I'm going, God, and so one day I just uh, decided, well, I'm going to go down and take a look at that, you know, and, and we came down to this property and um, once we came up, uh, we we're at 600 feet elevation. The farm is from 450 feet to 600 feet, all southern exposure. Um, Nakai soil, uh, it used to be a horse farm and it was a horse farm when we came up and um, it just, uh, we just- 20 felt, acres, same thing as the other, yeah. but uh, the attract, we were, you were attracted also by the multi-use here, not being so restricted to having all vineyard in your house in the middle. That was appealing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's kind of um, kind of what happened there. Mm-hmm. I want to back up to the first property for a second. You mentioned obviously a learning curve. Not, this isn't the your viticulture is not your background. So mm-hmm. tell no. me about about laying a vineyard out, planting a vineyard, and then and then and then living, having a vineyard to to, to deal with. Well, we worked with results partners mm-hmm. and um, 
it was really good to work with you know a really great company that really knew what they were doing because <laughs> we still don't know what we're doing now <laughs> but we uh, you know just being a first generation and you know we had our mentors over here and we, we asked Celia and Leah a lot about things and um, but at the same time um, you know the results partners people were all from um, Oregon State you know and, and had really great viniculture backgrounds and um, we just felt more comfortable, you know, working with somebody like that, obviously, than doing it ourselves, because 16 acres is a pretty big vineyard, and, and it, it takes a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, work, and we had a lot to learn about the industry. Um, mm -hmm. And so using uh, a company that was so well-regarded even today um, really made a difference. Um, they also helped us a lot with uh, the selection of, of clones, uh, French clones, which we, we we planted six different French clones. Um, there were some areas of the vineyard and the that were a little bit in a valley, and so they were they had more moisture. We'd run into those areas, so you, you know different types of clones that are, are better suited for a little bit wetter conditions and so forth. So we started just learning a little bit about how. Um, how unique Pinot Noir is and, and how, you know, there's just so much that goes into really farming grapes and growing grapes and, uh, you know, they helped us with the education. And then you realize you have all these grapes and what are we going to do with all these grapes? <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing. Uh, that was a fun discovery. <laughs> like, yeah, but they know, kind of oversimplified it when we bought the property, right? You well, we, we did too, you know. We, when you're yeah. younger, you oversimplify you're young, you're, you're everything. You're dreaming, oh, we'll put a vineyard in. And <laughs> put a vineyard in, what, what, are, we, what, but, are, we, what are we just uh, take on a little know, bit? You know, and one thing about these clones and clone selection and so forth, um, we bought uh, these, I forget the, the, the nursery that we bought them from, um, but I don't think, it, I think, no, part of them were from Duarte Nursery Duarte down in, in Stockton, California. Yes. But we also bought from a couple local um, nurseries, and I, I can't remember the names right off, but um, that takes me back to, to Stone Ridge, though, and Seeley and Lee Campbell in the, that Oregon Wine Brotherhood meeting when the gentleman was there in, in, in you know, the early 80s and said, oh, I've got these clones, and you know, they just said, well, let's go with Pinot Gris. And I never really put it together until we've been thinking about, I've been thinking about it and talking with Chris just recently. It's, it's interesting because there probably weren't a lot of access to, to really great clones, especially Pinot Noir at the mm -hmm. time. Um, could have been why he decided to just pull the trigger and, and do six acres of Pinot Gris and make that change at the Oregon Wine Brotherhood. So that was really interesting. Um, but back to our, our vineyard, um, the original vineyard up here on Pete's Mountain. Um, we, we're, I'm a history major from Oregon, so history is very important, um, as we know in what we're doing today and what you're doing um, continuously and your efforts. Uh, so I applaud that very much. Um, but the history of, of Pete's Mountain, um, and we named it Pete's Mountain, you know, because I mean, that's pretty original. <laughs> but, you know, the, the vineyard's often, you know, a little Willamette Valley vineyard, right? Or a sense of the place and, and where things um, started and where they are. And, and also a nod to history that it is important to keep in mind what, you know, who came before us and how things worked. Well, Peter Weiss was, a, his name was Peter Weiss. And when we developed our label, Pete's Mountain, we looked into the history of, of Peter Weiss. And... Um, as you come out of Old Lamet up Pete's Mountain Road here, um, that bridge over the Tualatin is called Weiss Bridge. And 
He was actually not born in America, he was born in France, Bastille, France. And so here's a gentleman, a real adventurer, by all means, because he came over. Um, our history shows that he came out on the second uh, Oregon Trail from Missouri. And he um, came to Oregon City, you know, the Oregon Territory capital, and uh, you know, our government was trying to really solve, you know, get this land <laughs> from the competing French and Russians and so forth. And uh, so he got a donation land claim. And you know, behind us here, across the river, is the Oregon Territory, Clackamas County. And most all the folks settled on that side of the river, on that side of Oregon City, so that they could bring eventually their goods down below the falls to get them into commerce and down the river uh, and into Portland primarily, I guess. Um, and uh, that's where most, it was flat, you know, <laughs> really good farming land. And, and so most of the pioneers at that time, you know, got their donation land claims there. Well, he wanted to be up on Pete's Mountain. You know, and I think about that, right, from a historical standpoint, you know, he's come all this way, all the way from Europe, and then he, he's got that last mile or two, and he decides <laughs> to come up here and where there's just spring water. You know, they didn't have wells at that time. This is all wells up here now. But um, decided to come up on this mountain, and, and maybe it's because he came up here and he saw how beautiful the view is. I, I'm not really sure. Um, but anyway, he came up and, and uh, they uh, cut down some of the trees. I, I would imagine some of this was cleared back then because the Indians, I'm sure, lived up here. And, you know, for game and hunting, they cleared. But this was when the, uh, the sawmill in, uh, down in Old Willamette above the falls um, was a big concern and, you know, for building out the area. And so they, they cut the trees, um, cleared some of the land, and then, uh, believe it or not, they dry farmed like we dry farm grapes today, and they dry farmed uh, potatoes and, and, and wheat, dry farm wheat. So that history really ties out and back to France as well, because most of our clones are from France. We, we grow French grapes, and we're direction in Oregon, and what we do here in Oregon is uh, so tied to the, the French wine history of 100% varietals and, and so forth. So it, it was really kind of cool uh, that we were able to honor him and, and uh, and uh, on, on the label, it, um, it says, you know, oh, the day when you could go up to the top of a, a mountain and cl claim, you know, look out over the views and, and claim your own plot of land. So yeah. we honor the history quite a bit. And um, so, so that was a, an important part of getting going. But then we're back up at the first <laughs> property with all these grapes. All these grapes. And three years later, what are, what are we doing? And the little the daughter first helped but yeah. three years later we, we sold the grapes obviously we sold them but we took a portion we kept a small portion um, well, for our in the beginning well, right well what yes. you remember Chris, <laughs> this is a, a long block. time ago it was a long time ago yeah you 23 know, years 2005 vintage and so yes you know we're farmers but you know we <laughs> we, we have a lot of help with all this and stuff but still year in and year out Christy and I watch the weather more than we ever have in our lives because farming is so tied to the weather. And, um, and the first vintage in 2005 um, was one of those lemons, we're gonna make lemonade. Because <laughs> what happened is out of all the years we farmed, which is 23 years now, that vintage was the worst vintage as far as production that we ever experienced. What did we get into? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we had this big vineyard 
and we farming was about half as much then as it is today but it still costs us a lot of money for us to, to grow these grapes and our expectation was one we have to find somebody to buy these grapes which is still an issue for farmers today you know especially with mm -hmm. so many small operations and the, and the way it works with wine you know making wine and, and single vineyards and, and but also you know there's just a lot to it so we just we only had just a very small amount of grapes I think for we only got about um, I think about a half ton per acre which is for <laughs> that's like seven eight tons and so it was like well we still haven't established really a uh, a connection to sell these grapes and what do we do and but really out of times in your life where things are are really difficult not going how you would expect them to go those are some of the most important pivots in your life and uh so you uh, went to the garage and maybe <laughs> bottled <laughs> no, no that was the year before yeah, yeah well, that's that year. was a different story but <laughs> we did make wine one year and and so we would understand the process <laughs> and everything and that is a good story a lot of stories so, yeah, have um, so much time. yes that's right and so um but this is where a real really we you know you fall uphill also and um, the owner of uh, results partners and his name slips me right now I, I wish I, 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 I had that and he was the one that really made results partners and then Kevin. sold it Kevin can't believe I remember Kevin, that um, we're not sure yes moving on but. but he was also very involved with Rex Hill yes Kevin Hart mm. Kevin Hart okay. and thank that's great Chris I'm glad you pulled that out right we're on camera <laughs> we got to pull that stuff up so um, <laughs> And he was instrumental on picking the clones and helping us and everything. But he also knew this young strapping lad from Germany and in Europe and, and, and French educated um, named Laurent Montague. And Laurent comes up and, and you know, and so we enlist um, Laurent to be our winemaker from day one. And he, I think he had just maybe, maybe, yeah, I think he had just sold Rex Hill. And so, not Rex Hill, excuse me. Um, um, Willa Kinsey. Willa Kinsey. And so he was on this new venture with his partner John um, to start to do a custom crush facility. And so we, and Laurent is so, such a great guy in, in our eyes. And so, you know, just kind of down to earth, even though he's, he's just a very educated uh, person and great winemaker and everything. He just really was kind soul. And, and he, uh, he saw we, we needed help. And so he, um, he said, look, um, and we, we decided we wanted to make wine. And so that was when we started getting guided into the wine business. And we pivoted from being growers, which we obviously weren't very good at, <laughs> to being in the wine business. And, um, well, he we, said how good. He goes, You're, this is going to be great wine. Yeah. And, and he said, you guys should take, I think you, between you and him, said you should take a block of it. And, and well, the, the, this, what, was, what, what we had that year. What we had, yeah, do a, just a small amount and, and have some and do your own little, do your own label. Give it to friends. You know, <laughs> my, yeah, Mike goes, okay, well, well, we'll, we'll give it away and, you know, and let friends enjoy. Well, and we'll figure something out. We'll figure it out. And then we started take, so I remember that year uh, we did it, just, go ahead, yeah. Well, and also one of our questions was, you know, guy, if we're going to do this, and then what if we were going to sell some of it, we should probably have a white wine. And, and then that's when we thought. And a label. And a label. And that's when we thought about uh, Seeley and, and Lee Campbell. And um, we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great? We really wanted to just make wine. You know, we didn't really know that much about winemaking, but we really wanted to kind of grow our own wine 
grapes and then make our own wine from that vineyard, which is still part of our, our tapestry today. And I think, again, it was a, a good decision. But, so, but we did get the, the, we did bottle, they bottled some of the, the wine for us from that yeah, year. And, and back to your, that's where your machine from your office products came in handy because Mike, we went and bought those labels. Remember you bought, he bought these wine labels that. Printed them on a printer. And printed them on the printer at home. And, you know, Haley's Block 2000, yeah. you know, and the year. And, and they were just, I was like, where do we get these labels? Oh, the office store. Okay, but printed we, them on the printer and like put them on there and thought, well, well we were just giving it to, yeah. right? How a lot of people right. start. We'll give this to friends. And, and then friends were like, this is really good. And Laurent goes, it's really good wine. And Well, right? to back up just one yes, second yes. on that. Okay. We did while we were doing this and waiting for the wine to grow. We, we went over to, and we bought a home in Wilsonville, or yeah, on Gage Road. And it just happened to have four acres of That's Dijon right. 777 um, Pinot growing on it that was already producing. So that's when we did the labels. We, we, yes, we grew the yes, wine, yeah. crushed it, did all of our own uh, bottling in this barn we had there with the help of uh, Matt Novak. Matt had oh, just moved yeah. up uh, and joined Results Partners right when we started to develop um, our vineyard. And that's when we met Matt who Spotswood, his parents, his family of Spotswood down in Apple, which was one of the great, you know, uh, Cabernet, Chardonnay, I think, houses down there. And, um, you know, he was one of the, a boy, and I think he has three sisters or something, and, and the girls were older, and they were kind of taking over the business. And he, he had his viniculture, so he wanted to come up here and, and kind of strike out and do that. So that's when we met Matt, and, he, and then he helped us um, learn, you know, the process of wine. And then that wine started really going sideways from a chemistry standpoint, you know. <laughs> and so he came in and he helped us with... Because that know. was in your shop out yeah, there. And I mean, temperature controlled. The, it was just for our own uh -huh. consumption. But helped but us with the chemistry of it and everything. And, and was just there. a great resource and a great friend. So, and, so you did you did make wine. Yeah, and, and we did make wine in 2003 <laughs> or four, And then we made those labels off the printer. In the big vats and, and we, punching it down and like adding sugar. And I thought, is this what we're doing now? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... It's a, a lot this, going on I was here. Like, this is supposed to be like a indoor <laughs> sport court or something. Yeah, that so, was a long time ago. So that, that was, was fun. funny. And it was fun to look back on it and then laugh a little bit. Friends and came uh, over and helped bottle. Remember the, help pick that was and fun, everything. So that was all just we were for, really in the wine you know, business. Just to just to hand mm -hmm. to friends and stuff. So then in but. 2005, our first yield came up here on the the original Pete's Fountain Vineyard up on on top, and we uh, we developed our label. And, yeah. and we developed the Seeley's Block, um, that relationship, and we came out with these two wines. And I remember um, when they, they, they delivered this wine to us, and it was right in this, this, this was a barn at the time, but we had the one half of it was open, and we still hadn't gotten the thing down, whether we were gonna have animals or what we were gonna do with <laughs> still it. Still wanted animals. But it was a really nice barn with stalls and everything. And so we brought those pallets in, and um, I was like, how in the world? Will we ever be able to sell all this wine? You know, <laughs> and it wasn't very much. What are we doing? And so um, that was a fun day. And so anyway, that's how we got into the business. Um, it wasn't really because we were, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do wine. We're going to be, you know. We didn't seek it out. Yeah, the energy it found us. us. <laughs> it really did. And and we're very much a couple that um, we looked to the energy and 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 maybe sometimes oversimplify decisions based on what comes into our lives, you know, like Lee and Celie and like Laurent Montague. And Laurent um, has always been really one of our, our mentors because he, uh, he just really stepped in and helped us from, from day one. And, 
at the end of our story here, you're going to see this full roundabout on energy and, and stuff <laughs> with Laurent that's going on today, which is just uh, amazing, really. I get goosebumps. Um, when I, I get goosebumps when I talk about our, my family, our family, <laughs> Christy, and when I talk about our wines. You know, so I don't know where that comes from because I don't really get that golfing or, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, maybe I just have convinced myself this is good. But this was also where Laurent was starting the custom crush and they'd bought, him and John had bought, and, uh, uh, what's his, John's last name, the, the road out there, um, Niedermeyer, John Niedermeyer. And they had bought this, this so Laurent went to John Niedermeyer at the time and, and said, hey, uh, there's this pie shop for sale in McMinnville. And it's a huge facility, but it has all the cold storage. And we make wine and store wine, we'll make wine especially, and, and Cooper wine. Um, you have to have coolness. And it's the only way you can go. And, you know, big facilities, that have, you know, how, how do you get a bigger facility to do that? And it just, nobody wanted this place. Well, I should say, I'm, I'm ad-libbing now. So getting away from history, I don't know that. But I don't think there was a lot of demand for it. I think it had been on the market for a while. So Laurent went to John and said, hey, let's do this, and um, this would be perfect. And that's, that's where they got into Northwest Wine Company and the Custom Crush facilities. And uh, that's where we made our wine uh, at first. And, um, and, and Ann Siri um, came to work for him, uh, Laurent, at the old pie shop. <laughs> and uh, so Ann um, and the team at Northwest, you know, are very uh, involved um, with making our wines. and. Uh, you know, it's it's also great to have a woman winemaker. Um, that's been something else that we just fell into that I, Christy and I feel are, is very important. Um, women, I always market that women have great senses, and they have great you know mid palates, and so they're they make great winemakers as well. But Laurent and his whole team are just fantastic, and we're very lucky. So what the other part about the custom crush facility was though that Laurent kind of gave us a lifeline in, in the sense that he said, we'll buy all your, we'll buy all your grapes. So it kind of saved us to a degree. I mean, we would have found, you know, we would have made our way, but it was the first thing. It was the first thing, you know. He was, he was brought onto that land and where we met up at, I remember meeting him up at Pete's Mountain and it was just like, you know, he gave us a lot of the solutions to the, where we were with our, our and business. And really guided us. This is what mm -hmm. you should do. And he said, you shouldn't actually give the wine to your friends. It was the next finish. He goes, you should consider selling. Taking a small port still will buy the majority of the grapes, mm -hmm. but you guys yeah. should consider, and that's what we did, really selling selling the wine. We're like, like Mike said, coming here, are people going to, are people going to buy this wine? This, that was a that was a little bit of a leap, but we took small small amounts too. What was yeah, our they, first? Are they going to buy fifty buy wine from people selling wine on a tennis court? <laughs> it probably goes back to Dick Erath when he'd open up his house, you know, or whatever, and, and have people come out originally to buy. Dicker yes. with Dick is another thing that I learned about recently. That uh, he would have these wine days called Dicker with Dicker with Dick, and he just <laughs> you buy three cases, I'll give you this price, you know. And I thought that was pretty. We haven't done that yet, but I like it. <laughs> You know, he, he encouraged us to do, because he was doing Tory Moore and some different, um, the ones that are on the, the billboard outside of the, uh, the, the deli out there. Um, what's the deli out there that we go to? Red Hills. Red, Red Hills, Hills Deli, which is another great operation, another great operator. Um, but, you know, we, we just thought, well, this is good. And, and we really brought in kind of that family. And we've been with Northwest since they really started. And, yes. um, and that's where we make all of our Oregon wines. Um, we do make uh, and have a winery up in Prosser, Washington, uh, where we make a Syrah and a Cabernet and grow a single vineyard up there, uh, sustainable. See, I'm really selling now. 
we'll get into the whole formula for our, for our <laughs> limited success here pretty quick. But uh, um, anyway, that's that's how it all started, and and that's how we got going. And at the time, I, I remember Christy and I, we'd go out and wine taste, and um, there there was. Uh, you go to a place and there would be like eight, ten wines, and I'm like, oh my god, we will never have that many wines. There's just no way, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we'll talk about the evolution of that. Tell me about your introduction into the industry. Then you mentioned obviously coming into it, you had you had to learn, you had to, you had to find people, and obviously you found people like Laurent and Anne and, and others. What did you sort of think about what was happening in Oregon wine at that point, and where did you think you you fit it? You would fit in. Did we fit in? <laughs> Well, we just took it, you know, we just felt, I felt like it was just really one day at a time for us there when they came in and, and with Laurent's guidance and I feel like it was just, what are we going to do with this? I didn't, I don't know that we looked too far ahead and really knew really what, what our, what our plan would be and what else was going on. We we're like, what are, how are we going to fit into, how are we going to do this? I think we just took it. And I think we looked at other, other you know, farmers and, and growers and producers and, and how they did it. And one of the things I guess that struck us a little bit, I, I would say, is that, um, you know, how simple a lot of the places were that were selling wine. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't, mm -hmm. and, and we never went to Napa or Sonoma. Before yeah. we started this, we went to uh, uh, Burgundy because we thought we better figure this out. And we came away <laughs> from Burgundy saying, I don't know. Burgundy is like the structure and the, the way that they, they classify land and everything was just, it was like, holy moly, you know, it was hard to understand that, especially coming in as a But we a did like, like what Mike said, we did go around to the smaller, you know, wineries, looked at the vineyards to see how are, how are people doing this and, you know, on site like that and how, how would we, so we were just, it was a little, little, over, little overwhelming. I think, but also we knew we could kind of take it in increments. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to go big so fast. That was there was that possibility out there, but it was, it felt um, there's a lot to learn, but also approachable because with mm -hmm. Laurent said you can take you can have like 50 cases this year, maybe 100 cases next year. You know, he allowed us to do that and have that flexibility. So we go out and look at go visit the small wine tasting rooms like. Okay, so this is how we would do it. This is, you know, so. And there were those places out there that they really just opened up one room in their house, even in their garage, and and compared to Burgundy, you know, this was very different. Um, and we thought, well, we, we, you know, we have a tennis court. We can do this. We can. <laughs> well, exactly what Mike said. We said, well, we have a barn that was supposed to have animals, but never had animals. So we slow. So our first, the very first thing we did when we did get the wine, we weren't open for, you know, had opening hours or anything. But when it's like, I was so long ago, but people would reach out or want to know about the wine. And so we'd invite them over here to the barn and we, Mike or I, both of us, and then you a lot would sit there with them. It ended up being like a group of four, or a couple or something. And we sat there for three hours and trying the wine and talking about the wine. And and as that kind of got busier, I said, this is kind of hard to make all these appointments. And, and it's, you know, we're like, maybe, maybe we should think about like having just being open for a few hours and then people could just come. And well, how do people do that? You know, how do we do that? And then we, uh, we, took, we did. took out the stalls in the barn, opened it up into, made it a, a it's a nice craftsman building and um, built a, a wine bar in there with a, a local uh, gentleman named Paul Wall, who just is really great with wood. and got like seven types of different local woods in there, you know, but it's very eclectic, you know. Mm -hmm. It's it's not, um, you know, just uh, we had an architect come in and design the whole thing. We just kind of did just it. just happened organically. Yeah, 
yeah. And then um, I think that was in about uh, 2010 that we started receiving people up here on Sundays um, from noon to to 5:30, um, and we we were having kids at the time, and um, so we were very active, and we tried to be very active in our kids' lives and their schools and all that, all their sports and everything. So that took a lot of energy. Um, the other piece is that we did have um, investments, other investments that allowed us to kind of walk as we went, um, um, so we didn't have to just solely, you know, run on the. Uh, on what we were doing in the wine industry, which was really fortunate and a benefit to us for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but then in uh, 2000, um, about 2014 or 13, we opened up uh, just this area right here on the tennis court. Mike goes, we should probably maybe offer an outdoor area. Because of the views. And, and so a small area in there and then kind of created a small area here and this was still a big tennis court and took down but, half the but, fence this big green fence <laughs> that went around half of it and then we set up right here and um, we started being open and the uh, reason why we were open on Sundays was partly because of our family because all the sports and everything go all the way through Saturday now it goes through Sunday as well but mm -hmm. we we had we're really busy during those times and we didn't want you know, having people up to your place every weekend um, was something that was we weren't used to, and also raising a family, um, it was a little bit different, but um, it was how we, we felt we would walk forward. And Oswego Hills, um, our friends over there, uh, great people, um, they had started Oswego Hills, they were really the first ones to really kind of do it so close to the, the metro area here. Mm -hmm. And um, they were open that day on Sunday, so we thought, well, you know, why don't we try to just be open at the same time? Maybe we could create some synergy, and uh, and that's what we did. So <laughs> we've been open um, for five and a half hours a week for the last ten years. That's it. That's all we are, though. <laughs> Except this year, this summer, we started to be open on Friday nights for in the summer. In the summer, just through through August. So. It was kind of a new, uh, the next little step because our kids are graduating now and we're going to be empty nesters and we thought, well, this college isn't going to be cheap. We better better figure <laughs> out how to sell a little bit more wine. Oh, brother. Uh, well, there's always that practical side. Um, tell me about the, as that happened, tell me about the, the sort of the hospitality you were going for. What was the approach when people came up here and who did you find coming here to buy your wine? I feel like in the beginning, the approach was, well, at first we thought, is anybody going to come? And we were worried about that. And then the first day, you're like, there's people here. This is amazing. They came. This is so exciting. And then years later, you're like, oh, my gosh, we're so busy. Um, <laughs> but that first day, I remember we were, we were just so excited. Like, I, people are here. They're here for to see what we're doing and hear our story and try our wine. And I remember that was so, so exciting. The approach, you know, we kept it very intimate, I think. You know, we... We just, it was just Mike and I, just busy with them, more Mike than myself, just dealing with, and it was just a lot of one-on-one, -on -one and people would stay, and that was, so we had a very small area of that indoor space, um, and then, again, offering this outdoor, and we found it, a lot of it was just people, local people around here, like, we wondered what you guys were doing up here, and we kind of saw that, you, you know, this vineyard, and so we found that it was a lot of local people, I think, in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 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 And, you know, we never felt like, um, you know, we always felt like there's all these really great uh, 
wineries in Oregon and all this competition, uh, you know, in Dundee and, and, you know, and just, you know, we were first generation. We really didn't know, um, you know, we'd, I'd never worked in a tasting room. Christy never worked in a tasting room. So we really didn't know really quite how to act, but, but not act, but how to, how to, <laughs> how to, how to perform. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we, people expected, like what yeah. do people expect and how do we do a tasting? And, and when we went out to, sorry, but we did go out wine tasting, both Mike and I came back and we said, well, we know we have the, the Haley's Block Pinot Noir and we're offering the Sealy's Pinot Gris. We we're like, we, we need to have more than two wines if people are coming because you can't even offer a flight or so Mike goes, right, but two's a lot, you know, this is way, now we have, like you said, eight, but, um, Two's a lot, and I said, "Yeah, I know, but you really need everywhere we go. It seems like flights are at least four. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's so, it was kind of the conversation came of that. It's if people are coming up, the expectation is you have more than yeah, more than two. So months. you know, the, this is what would happen: people would come up, <laughs> and 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 we got Pinot. What do you have? Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris, and they try them, and then inevitably, yes, the lady would go, the the woman would go. Well, I really like Chardonnay from California. Yes. And yes. inevitably, the man would say, "Well, I really like a bigger wine. I like a Cabernet or a Syrah." So you're like, so, "Oh no." <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we'll work on that. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so, but but the one thing that um, always struck us, um, the places that we did like in Oregon, in particular, were that um, they they made you feel comfortable, and and took the stuffiness and pretentious out of the wine business. Because that's not how we are anyway. But also, we're not we're not experts at anything. You know, um, we try hard. But one thing we do do well is is hospitality. Um, you're invited to our home. Um, we want you to feel really comfortable with what we're doing. We want you to understand that um, the wine business. You know, it has a lot. You know, we'll always continue to learn. Always. But on the other hand. There are some simple things about it that are, you know, we've broken down, um, and 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 what we try to explain to people are, are there's a we we can do it in in one wine tasting and and really share uh, the kind of the what we think are the most important things if you're out sampling wines and trying wines or you have a sommelier in front of you at a restaurant or whatever and it, it is there is some simplicity to it also. Um, and also, um, we make the wines we make and grow are really premium value. Um, they just are. We don't use any wholesale, so we're really eclectic in a lot of ways. Um, you know, this year we'll sell over 3,000 cases of wine, being open five hours a week. And um, we don't have a wine club because when you come up here, you're in the wine club. <laughs> you know, you, yes. you, you're, we have uh, pricing on a six pack and pricing on a case that you can mix and match the wines. So again, there's as few rules as we can do for you to try and experience any of the wines that you want. And um, we, the pricing, um, you, you get better price than in your in a wine club if you come up here and buy wine. And so um, those are important things to us. Every, a lot of people will say, you know, you know, especially maybe in the industry to a degree, you know, well, you should have a wine club. And, you know, we, we went to Laurent, and Laurent wasn't really one of them. We went to Laurent, and we go, Laurent, how are we going to do this? You know, okay, we were thinking about having a wine club, you know. Um, this was about three or four years ago. And, and you know, we sat down, and he, started, he goes, well, there's a lot to it, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, structure and accounting and all these things. You know, some wine clubs take credit cards <laughs> and keep them on file and everything. 
And um, and then he goes, you know, but I don't know if you guys really need a wine club because you sell all your wine every year. And um, so he was very, again, you know, very uh, kind of mentoring and, and like a good friend. And um, so said, we went away from just, that. He said, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> so we went away from that. And, you know, yeah, because, yeah. you know. We'll see. But the kinda, kids are gone now. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never, never say know, never, never on that so. camera. No. Um, but yes. uh, it, uh, it uh, you know, again, we, we don't use, other people don't sell our wines. We sell it face to face. And when we started, you know, back when they come up and we had two wines, and they'd look and you go, where's the Chardonnay? Where's the Cabernet? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, uh, well, we're going to make a little bit bigger Pinot Noir. <laughs> we're we're going to have a full body, medium Pinot Noir. And, and we really do. And that's part of the reason. Cause we, um, but th that also goes to back to how you make wines and the inputs in wines. Um, there's a real... Um, the, the, the biggest thing for us is that we want to sell premium value wines. And we want, when people come up and they've never tried to, a lot of people I don't think have ever, you know, really experienced. I mean, and maybe I don't want to overstate that, but um, where, where you're using the correct amount of, of, of the processes to make the wine with great winemakers and you're using the right amount of French oak. And the French oak is the most expensive input in wines. and you have to be true to that regiment. You have to be true to the, you know, um, creating, taking your grapes and not manipulating them, doing it as naturally as you can. We are live certified sustainable, single vineyard on all of our wines, which is another part of what's important. We know where the cooking comes from. We know where the grapes come from. We know um, that that's a good start, but it's just a start. You know, our winemakers are in the vineyards more than most people would think, um, making sure that these grapes come in, you know, to their facilities, the custom crush facilities, and they, they, they have the best products that they can work with. And you take care of the roots, you take care of the vineyard, you feed it, you feed the root systems. All these things are really important. You touch the vine nine, ten times. And there's a lot of areas you can kind of go a little bit softer on, you know. You can keep the barrels in for seven, eight years, and some of them might be more, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, producing a fruit-forward wine. But after uh, four or five years, we, we don't use the barrels anymore. Um, and that, you know, a barrel is uh, $1,200, uh, makes 26 cases of wine. These are some of the economics. And then also, w we would rather sell it directly and not and give the value to the customer rather than give it to somebody to sell it for us. And those are some of the simple things that we, we've, we've come to understand and, and is part of the, the tapestry of our, our organization. And, um, you know, balanced wine is another thing when, you, you know, we, we don't drink a lot of expensive wines because, you know, we have four kids, you know, that's why we have eight <laughs> wines, because we name after our kids, and then we had twins at the end, it just got terrible. <laughs> we <laughs> to keep we had to more keep wine. making more names and everything, and, and um, <laughs> but the tapestry is, and, and that tapestry creates what, what we feel is, well, we haven't drank a lot of really expensive wines, but the ones when you do have an opportunity to drink a really expensive wine, um, you know, balance uh, the bouquet, the smell, the, the, the fruit that you taste on on it when you initially drink it three is texture and tannin four is how it finishes five is how it stays on your palate though that's what we're trying to do is create 
and everybody's different. What might be a balanced wine for me, Allison, it's not for you, you know? So it's really an individual thing. You, uh, we, don't, we don't judge our wines either unless we go, we're invited to an invitational, and we have a couple of times, and it's turned out extremely well. <laughs> um, but we don't judge them because you're here to see what you like and what you feel is what's really important. And, and again, um, these are all part of the industry. There are some things we, we really, really embrace, some things we, we really try to do in a little bit different fashion. But what we've also found in balanced wine, um, again, in our, our humble opinion, because we're first generation rookies, is that, um, and really our winemakers, Ann and Laurent, and we have another winemaker up in, in Prosser, um, they are very good at producing wines that have beautiful tannin and really soft tannin. So this texture, number three, you know, texture can be, tannin can be, can be dry, it can be chewy, it can be all these different things, but what we want is just emulate with your system and your taste and be as soft as possible and as beautiful as possible but it also is the most expensive part of winemaking. And again, I'm not a winemaker, but it, it, I am a guy that pays the bills too, you know, and, and uh, that's the one that um, is hard to, to do when you aren't selling direct into premium and doing a premium uh, value wine. And um, so we've just been really fortunate and fallen uphill in those areas to be able to uh, to do that. Well, and it is really nice too, you talk with the people that come. I feel like, you know, you go wine tasting and you go somewhere and they, only have the flight of Pinots, which we love for our Oregon Pinot Noir, of course, or the Pinot Gris, uh, or, or Oregon Shards. But people also want to experience in one tasting and go one place and also experience other things. And so I feel like that's really appealing to most people that come here. There's something for everybody that they will like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people are just, I can't do the big reds. I can't do this. We're like, well, guess what? We have, you know, the Gris, the Chardonnay, the Oregon Chardonnay, which is great and did a, started a rosé a couple, few years ago, which has been, obviously people love the rosé, but the two Pinots, Cabernet, Syrah, so it just kind of, there's, there's really is. So it's, it's nice, everybody that comes to visit, they all find something that they enjoy, and it's nice to have that variety. I know that when I go wine tasting, if you go somewhere and you're like, well, what, is, what are they known for? And you're like, oh no, oh, I can't, you know, some people, I, and so I, other than that, other than a, a sweet wine, which we wouldn't. Or so. champagne now. Yeah, but you know, they, do you have bubbles? We're gonna have ten wines like, before you. Mike's you like. Know. Yeah. What do you like? I, the other day, uh, I had here, you know, face to face. Now, what is you guys' favorite wine? You know, well, champagne. <laughs> You're like <laughs> sparkling. Oh. I'm like, on my heels again, back to Pinot Noir, Mike's Pinot like, Gris days. So number nine. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so. but that's okay because you know Oregon um, has the ability to make all these beautiful wines and grow all these beautiful grapes. You know and. It is really second, it, it, that's one of the things that a real highlight to, to what makes it so special. I will have to say on camera, once again, I'm gonna look over this way. Um, all of our wines are single vineyard wines with the exception of the rosé. The rosé, we can't do it because it's six different grapes and two of the grapes or three of the grapes um, that go into it some years, we don't grow those grapes. So in my whole presentation and everything, I always have to spend a lot of time on the rosé backing up saying, <laughs> wait a minute, we have Gewürztraminer and we have Riesling in that wine, you know, but uh, that's yeah. okay because that's how the French make it, you know, and the, the French are, you know, their rosé is rosé and it doesn't have to be 100%, you know, uh, or blush are, they, um, because of it. their rules, right? Yes. Yes. 100% rules. So um, one other thing um, we want to talk about since we've talked about all this stuff um, is that, um, 
in 2007, we started making uh, big reds out of, out of Washington State and Prosser, Washington. Uh, it was Horse Heaven Hills AVA, Destiny Ridge Vineyards. Absolutely, uh, 20, I think Destiny Ridge is now about 24, 25 years old. Um, just really, really beautiful single vineyard. And we make a, uh, a Cabernet and a Syrah. Um, and those are named after our, two of our kids. So the Syrah is, is actually 100% Syrah that we make. So it's kind of unusual for a Syrah from whether you're California or Washington State. Um, but it's 100% Syrah and you think, well, that tan is not going to be very soft on that one. But it's very soft. Uh, the Cabernet, um, this year the Cabernet is 90, it changes a little bit each year, but it's 94% uh, it's Cabernet, 6% Merlot. Every year the Cabernet component of that is about 92% or, or, or higher. So it's really, as far as Cabernets goes, it's, it's really pretty single, you know, varietal. But um, that's how we do it. And, our winemaker up there, um, the, the Mercers um, own the property. Uh, they've been a, a big player in the Columbia Basin with all types of vegetables and French fries. You know, potato—they grow French fries. Yeah, well, that's pretty sophisticated. <laughs> they grow potatoes for you know McDonald's and all that. So they've they've done a really their second, third generation farming family. Um, they have water rights out of the Columbia River, um, so that's how the those grapes are watered. All of our Oregon product are all dry farmed. Okay. Mm -hmm. But up there, um, we threw a, it's a long story, but um, one of my really good friends from high school um, went to the University of Washington, and he has passed away, Mark Messina. But he was one of our other mentors. And he went to Washington, University of Washington, and he went to get his MBA in business. And that's where he went, met one of the Mercer sons. And that's where um, they went on to write a thesis on doing a, a winery up there. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where our winemaker, Jared Boyle, grew up with the Mercer boy growing up and farming and so forth. And Jared started, a, um, he was a vineyard manager, vineyard operation at Hogue Vineyards, which is one of the oldest vineyards in Washington State. And he originally started to make wine in his garage as an amateur. So our winemakers in Oregon, um, Anne and Laurent, they were trained professionally at the Wine Institute in Bordeaux, France. Um, Jared kind of just took it upon his, himself and then got educated and, and went on out of his garage, obviously, to, to, to um, get a great education in winemaking. And then he got married, um, Allie, Alexandra Nicole, um, his wife, and they started Alexandra and Nicole Cellars. And then I think it was 2017, I might be off by one year, but um, they became the winery of the year in, in Washington State. Mm -hmm. So this energy, again, we, uh, and then the other side deal is that Mark and I had done some deals in, um, in with these, these, this group and one of them just, it didn't go very well, but that's kind of how we, we, we kind of led to even meet, meet these guys. Most all their deals go great, you know, but the, <laughs> this one, this right. one is the lemon. There we go. <laughs> but um, that's where the, it's again about the energy and that's how we got drawn to that and doing that. Um, and again, it was because people were requesting it. Now, Northwest Wine here in, 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 in Oregon and Laurent, they, they make some beautiful big reds and they've kind of taken those on a little bit later in their evolution as well. Mm -hmm. um, so 
um, that's just kind of the history of what we do and how we do it. Um, and, and why it happened was because of energy. And so we sold um, our vineyard up on top in 2007, 2006. Um, and then it went through a couple of different owners. Nobody ever built a house. It's still like yeah. the vineyard. And, and then... um, Laurent and I um, and one of the Peel brothers looked at buying it back at one time, um, so forth. Kind of looked at some of the challenges up there as far as roads up and stuff. And it's a beautiful vineyard. I mean, it's, it's got a beautiful view. And, it's, and now it's how many, 20, 24 years, 23 years old. But the, the funny thing about it is that um, Laurent, Laurent bought the property and now he's building a home up there. Yeah, he just bought it. So, so when you talk about that first day when he came out in 2005, you know, and I met him. Who would you have know, ever it, thought? It we would sell, it would go through other, we never yeah. built, and now he's up there and he's gonna build and, and wants we're to be here. Very excited about him being neighbors up there and, and him and, and so, yeah. um, so you know, it's it's been interesting. And then the other thing is that, you know, when we talk about sixteen acres next door with Stone Ridge originally, Pinot Gris. Now I think there's I think there's over five hundred acres planted on Pete's Mountain. We, we planted 10% of them, 50, 50 of the acres. We were the first to do Pinot Noir up here, but it is really prolifer proliferated and, and, and just grown and the quality and um, you want beautiful Pinots, beautiful Chardonnay, beautiful Pinot Gris. Um, you know, it's a little bit rewarding in that sense because, you know, we, we took a chance and we didn't, you know, we didn't know much about everything, but the energy and, and how how we went and went about it, um, it's really kind of gratifying that a lot of people are planning up here, and yeah. and now there's uh, like four vineyards up here that that are open on the weekends, and um, yeah, people are able to do the loop and loop around, which is fun to be, visit visit all of them, and so yeah, one other fun story. Yes. <laughs> okay. Down um, first time we went to Napa was. About 2008, 2009, probably it was. We had pretty much our, our lineup of six wines. We were kind of doing the full, full uh, bounty and the opportunity, you know, with with tasting. And again, when you talk and sit across from people for all those years, and I mean thousands of people, and you look them in the eyes and you you try to talk about wine, <laughs> try to, you know, could I have no formal education in wine? You know, we just learned it on the street kind of you know doing it and being in front of customers and that's what I've done all my life at my previous business I was in front of customers and um, and, and I remember we went with Laurent once at, out at the uh, Allison Inn for this trade show and I asked him to come and join me at wine tasting I was so flipping nervous because here's Laurent you know he knows everything and I'm like you know and, and just listening to Laurent and how smooth and in his approach and how he did it and but it really has been a great experience to be able to um, do that and create hospitality and, and do the things that we talked about with the, the, the tapestry. And I feel pretty comfortable now, mm -hmm. albeit, you know, when somebody, uh, you know, the, there can still be a question, obviously, that I don't know. And I'll say, you know, I'm not sure on that. And that's okay, because that's, that's how you do it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you find out, you learn about it. But um, when we first went to Napa, you know, I'd heard that it was really big and, you know, a lot going on. and you know, a lot of beautiful places and a lot of caves and just very sophisticated kind of. 
And I tried some of the wines, you know, Silver Oak originally, and, and I thought, this is, this is going to be really neat. And we went down there. But I always really, we really didn't want to go down there. You know, we thought we had enough here in, in visiting the places here and then going, we went to Provence, France also, and just seeing some of the French places. And we felt like, you know, this is really where we are, so let's, let's learn this. And we went down there, and um, I was really take, you know, really kind of surprised at um, that industry and how far it had gotten and how successful it had gotten. Because, you know, you go in and they expect, you know, you to have a taste, I mean, not all places, but just the standard tastings, you go in and, and they only give you 15, 20, 20 minutes, maybe even, even at that, and they, and they serve you a little wafer maybe. And then, you know, out the door through where the purchasing is and buy your wine and, you know, and no discounts really, unless maybe <laughs> some discounts, but, you know, not a lot. And um, I was really surprised. And I, I'm not being negative because on the other hand, there were, we did, we have gone to some of the tastings down there where you pay a little bit more and you really get the first class deal and you sit down and they might offer some cheeses and so forth. So just kind of maybe a more mature industry in regards to how things develop, but also I think because of the demand and the amount of people that come by your place every day, you know. It wasn't like when we had Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris and you're just hoping a couple of people will stray up here, you know. Um, but I was kind of surprised by that and, um, and in no disrespect at all to California because they've led the way and, and, and everybody develops an industry and a, a different culture and so forth. And if we have people just coming up coming up and lining up, maybe we maybe we do our drive through, which has been one of our concepts. It was during COVID. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But um But to your point we have a we feel like we do offer the, you know, premium or try to offer this, um, and we do offer it. An experience. It's a, it's a personal experience, mm -hmm. and that's why we know people, they do love coming here and they love coming back because they're hanging out, and our staff, we have more here that we always want everyone just to be served, that have a, just have a great experience and hang out and, and don't feel that rush, like here's your out the door. And, so. and, and that's okay, why that's we do proteins, you know, and, and charcuteries <clears throat> and so forth, which is ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the union of food and wine and balanced wine with beautiful food is the nirvana of Oregon wine industry and hospitality and, and welcoming people and also helping each other. What comes next for the two of you and for the business? We're gonna sell it. No, I just get I just get <laughs> cut. No. I got kind of a dry sense of humor, you know, so okay. So anyway. Well, we talk about that a lot, you know, because we've evolved everything for us this is it's been a it's just been such a organic experience how we've grown our business and how it's evolved and as we, as we, like Mike mentioned in those early years, we were so busy with all, with the four kids and other investment things we had going on. And as that kind of waned and the business began, we focused even more on it. And, and we're really proud of where we are today and how it's grown. And, and, you know, we talk about that a lot. We sit out on our, after the wine tastings, we go around back and open, finish up what's, what's been open for the day. And we talk like, what, what's next? You yeah. know, what, what is that? And to that point, you know, um, where we, we, we can kind of end it is that where's that energy going to come from? You know, we're, we're looking for it and we're open to it. And so it's kind of an open-ended question, you know. Um, but with Dick Erath also in the interview that you did with him, one of the things that struck me was that as he got older, he, he kind of realized that these, these harvests won't go on forever. And to me, goosebumps. And, and that's the energy, you know. It, it's... Uh, it's a beautiful thing what we do. I, 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 you know, it gives us great energy, and um, 
I we'll mean, see what's to come. We'll see. We have to continue to evolve and change. And we do have a big chapter, a new chapter beginning this fall when we are here. Just Mike and I and all four kids have gone. and and Maybe we'll be open more than five hours. He keeps saying that. I'm like, whoa, let's, just not, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But, Maybe we'll have more kids. But that's know. a Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's a no, too. <laughs> but, you know, maybe, that's you a, know. That's a solid no. That's a hard no. That is, that's a, but, you know, we do talk about that. We could, could be open more. You could do more. You could, you know, the possibilities are kind of endless. I don't think we're ready to, we're not ready to be done and no. we love what, what we offer here so we'll yeah. probably be sitting around during the week when Sunday when are people coming <laughs> we're so excited to see people but but also very very um, feel very very lucky um, um, grateful just to be have had this experience you know it's it's been really wonderful it's been an honor yes well wonderful well that's all the questions that I have for the two of you uh, anything I didn't ask that I should have is there anything we didn't cover that you like to cover here. Today. Would you like to buy some wine? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. what, what's your favorite wines we like to <laughs> give you? Spot, we'd no. like to give you some wine. Yeah, we'd like to give you. <laughs> give you your favorite bottle because we have something for everybody. That's fantastic. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you so much for having us up here on this beautiful day, sharing your story, sharing your space with us. We appreciate this and we'll let you off the hook. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.